This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, March 4th, 2022, on your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today, as Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues, we hear from Russian citizen Nadja Berkovich, who lives in Fayetteville. I cannot give you statistics. I can only tell you that there were protests in Russia, in major cities uh, and abroad, ordinary people protesting. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich brings us that story in about 15 minutes. Just ahead, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics reviews some of the news of the past week, including a new report detailing the economic impact tourism has on the state. The Arkansas Department of Health is adding 50 COVID-19 deaths to the state's total after Thursday's virus report. The ADH also counts 481 new cases in that report. Arkansas's jobless rate in the state's largest metro areas continues to fall, and the jobless rate in northwest Arkansas in the latest report is now below 2%. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics report for December places the statewide jobless rate for northwest Arkansas at 1.6%. Jonesboro also reported a jobless rate below 2%, 1.9%. The Fort Smith jobless rate in December was 2.2%. In northwest Arkansas, there were nearly 13,000 more jobs in December 2021 than the previous December. A new study will examine why the Arkansas Delta has the highest rate of any region in the United States when it comes to infant mortality. The study will be conducted by the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine in Jonesboro and aims to help provide more prenatal resources to pregnant women from underserved communities. Dr. Christine Hartford is leading the study and says a number of different factors influence the health outcomes of infants in Arkansas. You know, I think the first thing we think about is access to care for pregnant women, which is definitely an issue. But there are studies more recently that show that there's more to it than that. And really, there's there's social what we call social determinants of health and other more upstream factors that are really playing a role. Hartford says the goal of the study is to connect expectant mothers from the Delta with local resources and to provide educational materials on how to best improve maternal and infant health. Doctors and medical students will also conduct group visits to the region to provide educational materials and collect data. And the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team is meeting the number one team in the country at this hour, South Carolina. That's taking place in the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament in Nashville. The Arkansas Razorbacks advanced to today's game with a 61-52 overtime win against Missouri yesterday afternoon in the tournament's second round. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, February is gone. We're in March. We've had days in the 70s. Things are looking better. Yes, and, you know, uh, with good weather, I always, uh, you know, know in Arkansas, maybe next week we'll have another snowstorm. I don't don't know when this roller coaster ends, but I'm ready for it to end. Good point. Roller coaster. That's not a bad metaphor for how the economy has been in Arkansas over the last couple of years, especially 
tourism. The annual tourism conference was uh, this week in Arkansas, and we learned something about tourism impact during those two days, didn't we? Yep. Yeah, you had a lot of tourism officials right there yeah. near you in Fayetteville for the Governor's Conference on Tourism, the 48th. Um, and no surprise, their economic impact report showed um, that the industry took a big hit uh, in 2020. Um, uh, the local tax revenue, according to their estimates, that's tied to tourism and travel, was down almost 17 percent. Um, all state revenue tied to tourism and travel was down almost 22 percent. Uh, and the overall impact was estimated at $6 billion, um, which was – uh, down, uh, I think, uh, also around the 20% range. Um, and jobs, the number of jobs tied to tourism and travel, uh, they estimated it was 51,882 last year, uh, and that was down a little over 23%. So down across the board, what we're seeing and what we see in our, in our tourism ticker that we do, which I think we're going to publish the full year later this month, shows that it's it's recovering um and it was recovering quite a bit at the end beginning to recover at the end of um 2020 um and turned on a dime and, and began to improve uh, in 2021 so um as travis uh, napper said he's the head of arkansas tourism he believes Arkansas is well situated because uh, a lot of people are going to want to get out. You know, when when we can, when all these a lot of these restrictions are lifted, they're going to want to get out and have experiences. And I think Arkansas, as we all know, has a lot of experiences. You know, whether you want to canoe the buffalo or you know walk through Crystal Bridges trails, whatever, all over the state, there's a lot of those experiences. Um, what was interesting is how this Northwest Arkansas and Fort Smith Metro did in terms of impact. Uh, Benton County was the third largest county in terms of travel and tourism expenditures at 548 million. Washington County was next, a fourth place at 382 million. And Sebastian came in sixth place, Sebastian County uh, in this metro area at 238.2 million. Of course, Pulaski was tops at 1.1 billion. It's pretty big. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but, um, tourism, uh, obviously took a hit in 2020, uh, but it's improving, but it's, it was just interesting to get some, uh, some good estimates on how, how bad it was. So we, we can maybe be impressed when we uh, climb out of this, uh, climb out of that Canyon. You know, you mentioned that list of the 10 counties in Arkansas that had the biggest estimated travel and tourism expenditures. Um, Carroll County was fifth at just over 241 million, punching above its weight. I mean, there aren't that many people there. Of course, you've got Eureka Springs and that. And then right. Garland, Garland was second with 558.1 million. I know they have some lakes there, but I'm guessing a lot of that also is horse racing and casinos. Yeah, that's horse racing. I think we're going to, yeah, we're going to see their percentage gains probably improve because you've, you know, you've had the new casino uh, just come online last year. Uh, and, uh, to your point, there are a lot of experience that experience tourism in there with Lake Washita, Lake Hamilton. So uh, Garland um, is going to is going to do well um, going forward because they've, you know, the, the horse racing folks have put a lot of money uh, into that place, and, and Hot Springs has always been a big big draw anyway. 
Let's keep talking money. Let's talk about Fort Smith uh, sales tax revenue. It keeps going in the up direction. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the um, city share, this is for the uh, January report. Um, the city share of Sebastian County sales tax was uh, $2.2 million. That was up over 17% uh, compared to January 2021 report. Um, and the city street tax, 1% street tax, um, generated $2.7 million. That was up almost 17%. Um, just huge increases, and it just builds on the increases last year. That that 1% uh, Fort, Smith Port, uh, Fort Smith's portion of the 1% tax, uh, county tax, set a record last year at 20, just a little over $21 million. Um, and, uh, and surprisingly, it had set a record in 2020, the year before, at $18.2 million terms of revenue. Um, Kyle, it'll be interesting. You know, I hope some smart folks, maybe uh, Mervin Jebaraj and his folks there at the center at, at the university center for business and economic research will provide some analysis as to how much of this has increased uh, consumer spending versus how much is inflation. I think inflation has got something to do with it. I doubt very much. It's got, um, you know, 17% to do with it. Um, but it's it's interesting, and of course, the city officials tell us they're going to consent can, uh, continue to budget conservatively because, you know, they don't uh, you don't want to base future spending on what's happening now because the economic di- dynamics of consumer spending are still uncertain. So you don't want to budget expecting that this will continue. Finally, uh, there is a trial date for Patrick Weeks, who is the president and CEO of the U.S. Marshals Museum. Um, I think he was. Th- this all stems from an incident that happened in late December. Correct, uh, December thirtieth. Um, he, alleged, well, not allegedly. According to the police report, he um, uh, waved uh, a weapon at some um, workers, um, either OG&E workers or contract workers for an OG&E who were working on utility lines in the area, um, and um, he's facing two counts of aggravated assault. He's pled innocent, uh, and there's a jury trial set up uh, July 5th in front of um, in Sebastian County Circuit Court in front of Judge Stephen Tabor. So we'll see how this uh, plays out. Uh, at the maximum, it's it's uh, considered a Class D felony, um, and he could face up to six years in prison, uh, a fine of to not exceed 10000 So there's a lot riding on the line. We don't We've uh, continued to ask the Marshalls Museum um, uh, leadership, you know, the status. uh, Mr. Weeks is on um, uh, administrative leave, but we're curious if that administrative leave will turn into resignation or if he'll be dismissed. I'm not sure, but that's the one thing we don't yet know, his status with the Marshalls Museum. All right. You can follow these stories and many others at talkbusiness.net. Michael, enjoy the weekend. We'll talk again next Friday. All right, I will, and thank you. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The Botanical Garden of the Ozarks is seeking volunteers to help with its 2022 events and programs. Those interested are welcome to attend a new volunteer recruitment Thursday, March 10th, or Saturday, March 12th, from 11 a.m. to noon. Volunteers are needed in horticulture, education, events, the admissions office, and more. 
bgozarks.org for details. This is Ozarks at Large. As Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues, we hear from a Russian citizen, Nadja Berkovich, who lives in Fayetteville. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports Berkovich, a university scholar, represents a surging number of Soviet-born citizens who stand in opposition to the war. Nadia Berkovich is a teaching assistant professor of Russia at the University of Arkansas. She coordinates the Russian program, including courses on Russian language, Russian and Yiddish literature, seminars, and English, working at the intersection of literature, cultural anthropology, history, and Jewish studies. I came to the United States um, 2001 to pursue a master's degree at Boston College, and I just received my green card, um, and I'm still a Russian citizen. Berkovich, who also attained a Ph.D. in Slavic languages and literatures from University of Illinois, recently spoke at a U of A honors forum on the Russian incursion into Ukraine. I have friends still in eastern Ukraine and relatives, and we have communication with them, and they are devastated. Berkovich was born in eastern Ukraine, then part of the Soviet Union, raised and educated in St. Petersburg, Russia. Her father remains in Russia. Her mother and siblings emigrated to Germany in 2000. Censorship, she says, has long been institutionalized in Russia. People in Russia, friends in Russia, share my views that that's war, Putin's war, not Russia's people war. So it's a war initiated by one person. Putin and Russian Federation state media falsely claim no war on Ukraine is occurring, but rather it's a special military operation underway to liberate Ukrainians from Nazification at the hands of their leader, President Volodymyr Zelensky. Zelensky, however, is Jewish. Putin's pretext is to capture Ukraine and absorb it into some neo-Soviet fold. Berkovich claims Russian citizens continue to be brainwashed by Russian autocrats. Russian Federation still operates using propaganda. Um, since last year, that the government began to censor journalists and independent media. So these Russian journalists are labeled as foreign because, according to the government, they represent views that critical or negative of the state. In other words, the state doesn't tolerate any criticism or opposition and therefore creates laws that would conveniently call anyone a foreign agent. So inastranny agent has nothing to do being foreign, but a state used a pretext that these people that are critical, independent journalists, critical of the state, might have a foreign support, and therefore they're foreign agents. They're not foreign, they're Russian. But it's a convenient tool for the state to say, you know, you disagree with us, you're a foreign agent, or you're an American spy. The U.S. Treasury yesterday announced sanctions against leading disinformation targets that support Putin's regime. But yesterday, Russian authorities shut down an independent radio and television station due to their bona fide coverage of the war in Ukraine. That was reported by the Moscow Times, an independent online weekly Russian newspaper which continues to publish in both Russian and English. 
this week, Anonymous, the decentralized international hacktivist collective, according to U.S. news sources, launched a cyber war on Russia to disable its propaganda machine, Berkovich says it's impossible to calculate the percentage of the Russian population, which number 144 million, that oppose Putin. It's a hard question because I cannot give you statistics. I can only tell you that there were protests in Russia in major cities uh, and abroad, ordinary people protesting against the war. There are also people that being fed on official news, people that aligned with this state. Because you need to remember that the current president has been in power for the last 22 years. There is no democratic election in Russia. It's authoritarian state that tends more and more towards totalitarian. Mass protests are prohibited in Russia, a vast transcontinental nation covering parts of Eastern Europe as well as Northern Asia. Radio Free Europe, however, is reporting that a growing number of Russians are voicing opposition to Putin's war on Ukraine with anti-war protests spreading to more than 50 cities OVD Info, an independent Russian human rights media project aimed at combating political persecution, says this week more than 7,600 Russians have been arrested and detained for protesting the attack on Ukraine. So there are consequences for participating in these protests. People being fined, and the fine could be from 5,000 rubles to 100 50,000 to 200,000, and the rate is $1 is 100 rubles. So it could be up to $2,000. Or if it's a repeated offense, if uh, meaning that people have been arrested before for participating in protest, they've been detained for maybe a night. Those arrested risk having their record marked, making it difficult to find work or attend school. Repeat offenders are imprisoned, Berkovich says. The death of Russian military troops could spur more protests in the coming weeks. The Russian Ministry of Defense claims 500 Russian military personnel have been killed in Ukraine. Western media reports the number to be much higher The United Nations is reporting around 800 Ukrainian casualties as of yesterday. The U.S. and European allies refused to engage in direct military action against Putin, who's threatened to deploy nuclear weapons, triggering a global nuclear war. So a burgeoning number of countries around the globe are imposing powerful economic sanctions to harm Putin and his oligarchs. Those are businessmen who've accumulated great wealth in the aftermath of the dissolution of the Soviet Union. But Bergovich says sanctions are expected to greatly harm Russian citizens. Ordinary people will bear the consequences of that uh, economic isolation. And Russia is a poor country. It's not as poor as Ukraine, but it's not a wealthy country. In an article published this week in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, a historic nonprofit media group established in 1945 after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 
Most Russians are unaware their country is at war, but Berkovich believes more Russians will learn that Putin's unprovoked war is giving rise to historic humanitarian disaster, as well as impacting ordinary Russian pocketbooks. Eventually, I hope will more and more people come to realize that the regime has to change. I mean, it's easy and comfortable for me to sit here and speak about this, um, but it's going to be very bloody um, ending. And I hope that regime eventually will change. The United Nations is reporting as of late yesterday that over a million people have fled Ukraine since Putin first attacked February 24th. An estimated 4 million more Ukrainians are expected to leave their homeland in the coming weeks and months, the UN says, leaving more than 12 million in-country, requiring aid, all triggering a massive humanitarian crisis. For Ozarks at large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. A conference called Clearing the Air Communities of Color Conference is designed to educate young people about tobacco prevention. The Minority Initiative Sub-Recipient Grant Office is partnering with the Arkansas Cancer Coalition for the third year to host this conference. The group aims to eliminate exposure to secondhand smoke and identify the disparities of tobacco use among different population groups. Dr. Marion Evans, Program Coordinator for the Minority Initiative Sub-Recipient Grant Office, says this conference will show the devastating effects tobacco use can have. One of our keynote presenters is Daniel Ahmed, and he was the first ever to receive a double lung transplant because of his use of uh, vaping products. And so we want the benefit to be, and we have reached out to some schools, that they will understand the devastating effects uh, that vaping can have. And it doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, it's detrimental to your health. And so that's what we want people to understand. She says she hopes this will bring awareness to tobacco use in all communities, especially underserved populations. Our hope is that we have new advocates. We uh, empower our advocates that we have now to, go, to continue to do the work of bringing awareness to the devastating effects that tobacco has in minority communities, especially because minorities suffer disproportionately from tobacco-related disease and illnesses. The conference takes place next Wednesday via Zoom. It's the third year it's being held. This is Ozarks Large. Joining me from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, who is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, I think a lot of people look out the window right now and think, oh, I want to do something. This has been the best weekend in a while. Oh, I think so, too. Can you start adding in the intro the very tired <laughs> features editor? <laughs> I think I think anyone who listens to us and knows what's going on in the area just assumes that we're tired. Lord have mercy. And the this best weekend, kind of tired, though, the best kind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But there's no way, again, there's no way you can do everything I'm about to tell you you ought to do. Starting with today at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory for the Rogers Short Film Festival. I'm going to take some of this in tomorrow. 33 films, three days. And the whole, the whole plan, I thought this was a great quote, short films typically get the short end of the stick at traditional film festivals. Yeah, because they offer a single short film category. And so it's what you and I made 
over right. a weekend versus a real studio-backed high-budget or with-any-budget film. But this is everybody. So, everybody is, Well, they've broken yeah. this up into, like, student categories and emerging filmmakers and professional filmmakers and secondary student filmmakers, like college-age filmmakers. So you're going to get to see films in the context of how they were made. A day pass is 15 to $20. A festival pass is 36 to $48. And there's a $90 all access pass. And those are available at the website for arkansaspublictheater.org slash tickets. If you're in Fayetteville, the orchid show and sale that the Orchid Society has every year is back at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks. I don't know much about orchids, but I do know this. People who grow them and love them really grow them and really love them. I don't know anything about them, but I went out a couple of years ago to do a story on this and went to somebody's home greenhouse. Mm -hmm. Wowzer. They're just stunning. They're absolutely stunning. And they're going to have hundreds of them from regional and local growers and exotic plants from around the world, many of which you could buy. And people who will tell you how to keep them alive once you walk out of the building with them. <laughs> that, yes, that's a big component. Or at least they'll tell you how to try. Right. It's from 5 to 7.30 today, 9 to 5 tomorrow, and noon to 4 on Sunday at BGO in Fayetteville, $10 for adults. $5 for kids ages 5 to 12, and admission includes re-entry into the garden. And you can find out more at bgozarks.org. Saturday, we're either going to the Walton Art Center or we're going to Fort Smith. The Fort Smith Symphony Saturday evening has a program called Classical Masters. I am in love with a guest artist. He's Tommy Dobbs. He's an assistant professor of percussion at Oklahoma City University, and he's principal percussionist with the symphony all the time. But he's going to be playing a marimba concerto. Oh, I like that. He's so funny because he grew up in a little town, little town in Florida, and started playing percussion in middle school band. And he said, you know, if you told 14-year-old me that one day I'd be a marimba soloist with a professional orchestra, I would have literally said, what's a marimba and what's an orchestra? <laughs> Love it. And then they'll also be playing Brahms Symphony Number no. 2 and Symphony Number no. 1 by Joseph Bologna, Chevalier de Saint-Georges, who was a contemporary of Mozart and the first really well-known black composer. And this is all happening Saturday night. Saturday night, 7 o'clock at the Art Best Performing Arts Center in Fort Smith. Tickets start at $20.00. If you want to go to the Walton Art Center, they have a quintet called the Clark Gibson Quintet playing jazz. 7.30 Saturday night is part of the Starlight Jazz Club. And then they have a guest artist, Nick Mancini, sitting in with them, making it a quintet instead of a quartet. 7.30 on Saturday. Okay. You can't do them both. No. And tickets start at $33. And then on Sunday, or actually any other day this weekend, you can go see Tiger Style at Theater Squared. The lead that our reporter, April Wallace, wrote, I think, says it all. If you've ever disappointed your parents, you might relate to Tiger Style, a comedy about race, family relationships, and the definition of success. It's about a brother and sister who are Chinese-American, and they're both struggling with what that means, 
who they are, where they fit in. And I don't think you have to be anything but alive to have those issues. Exactly, exactly. It's supposed to be really funny, but really thought-provoking, too. And it continues through April 3rd at Theater Squared. Tickets start at $15, and you can go to theater2.org to find out more. Or on Sunday, it's Family Day at Crystal Bridges Museum all afternoon from noon to 4, wrapping up the All Bentonville Reads with Charlotte's Web-inspired games, outdoor activities, and art projects. And then we're going to jump into next week just a little bit, because if you got all excited three months ago, two months ago, about seeing a show called Josie and Grace at the Faulkner Center at the University in Fayetteville, Mm -hmm. and then there was, was it weather or COVID? One or the other. It could have been both. Who knows? Who knows? But it's back. This is about Josephine Baker, who was an amazing part of history as an African-American performer. And this is about her friendship with Grace Kelly. And it happens at 7.30 on Tuesday the 8th at the Faulkner Center on the University of Arkansas campus in Fayetteville, and tickets are $20. Becca Martin-Brown is Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, thank you so much. Thank you. KUAF is supported by Fayetteville Animal Shelter and Services, supported by the City of Fayetteville, and dedicated to the welfare of animals and the people who associate with them. Information at 444-3456 or Fayetteville Animal Services on Facebook. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring travel and tourism, including spas and resorts, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and more information are available at 725-0394 or nwabusinessjournal.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Quick correction from earlier this week on our show. The program the Fayetteville Public Library is conducting for entrepreneurs and creatives through support of the Walton Family Foundation is called From Maker to Market. I left off that first word. It is From Maker to Market. You can find out more information at faylib.org. With abundant sunshine and temperatures in the 70s, it may feel like spring is here, but at least for the next couple of weeks, it's still officially winter. And for astronomy buffs, that may actually be good news. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth tells us why. It's a chilly night in early February, and a couple of dozen people file into the dimly lit sanctuary of the Waterway Christian Church in Bentonville. People mingle and share pictures while ambling over tables with telescope gear, flashlights, calendars, and a number of other assorted stargazing equipment. uh, The astronomy calendar for this year, which I wouldn't be without. There's a lot of information on that. Uh, If you haven't gotten your astronomy calendar... This is the second meeting in 2022 of the Sugar Creek Astronomical Society, which was founded in Bella Vista in 1991. Each month, the group of stargazers and astronomy enthusiasts meet to look at the night sky and delve deeper into topics about space and the cosmos. We have kind of two functions. One is to uh, learn within the club, and the other is to share outside the club. So both missions are kind of educational-based, but one is for the club members, and one is uh, aimed at the community. That's Bill Murphy, president of Sugar Creek Astronomical Society. He says the group serves amateur astronomers of all ages from southern Missouri to northwest Arkansas. 
This weekend, the group is hosting two Wonders of the Winter Sky events, one at Hobbs State Park in Rogers and another at the George Washington Carver National Monument Park in Diamond, Missouri. The Sugar Creek Astronomical Society gets out to Hobbs State Park approximately every two months. The next one is March 5th, um, and we bring telescopes out. We do a public program uh, right about sunset, and then after it's dark, then uh, we have free viewing for uh, all the public. So uh, that's one of the easy places to catch us. Another outreach that we've been doing is at uh, the George Washington um, Carver Monument up in southern Missouri. Then we're, we'll have telescopes there, too. And with warmer temperatures around the corner, Murphy says the waning days of winter are some of the best for nighttime stargazing. The winter, the, the challenge, obviously, is, is that it's colder, but the benefit is, uh, one, there's different stars every season, and the winter offers a lot of bright stars. Um, and some of the most recognizable constellations are up in the winter. So uh, that's probably why I like winter. For instance, my wife's favorite constellation is Orion, and it's very recognizable by three stars, about one finger width apart up in the sky. If your arm was all the way out and you saw three stars that are each one finger width apart, that's the belt of Orion. And then there's a, a bright red star and a bright blue star above and below those three stars. So anyway, that's Orion the Hunter, very recognizable constellation. And then there's constellations around that that are also uh, pretty identifiable, like the Gemini twins above it. Sirius is the brightest star in the sky, and it uh, is down below and to the back of uh, Orion. And then uh, in front of Orion is uh, Taurus, uh, kind of a V with one right, bright red star, Aldebaran. And then a little beyond that is the Pleiades, or the Seven Sisters. Um, I actually had seven sisters growing up, and so uh, that happens to be a constellation that's also personal to me. And something that Murphy says is personal for all of the members of Sugar Creek is outreach. That's trying to get more people interested in astronomy and break down some of the barriers to the activity by providing these information sessions and live telescope events. He says a good tip for those starting out is to start simple. Go outside and start observing with the naked eye. But as far as uh, going out and looking... um, One, I would look in the uh, southern part of the sky. Uh, Stars track from east to west, like the sun and the moon do. And so uh, right now, if you look uh, in the early part of the evening, um, for instance, Orion's going to be more on the east side. And then uh, as you go through the night, it tracks uh, to the west, so it tracks overhead. And then, But I would probably look for Orion as as one of those. Uh, Some of the others that you might spot in the northern part of the sky... You're probably either going to look... Right now, you can find Cassiopeia, which is kind of like a W, um, and it tracks around the North Star. The North Star itself is relatively dim, so uh, it's not the easiest one to find. But the W in the North is relatively easy to find right now. Um, In the summer, the Big Dipper is going to be in the same place. And both of those track around the North Star, but if, if one of them is overhead, the other one's low. And so right now, the Big Dipper is low, so not as good to look for it right now. And then uh, Cassiopeia is high in the north, and it's kind of a W. As far as um, other resources, um, you can pick up a star map, for instance, at skymaps.com. That's, that's one of the places. You can certainly get a book from the library. Start probably with a sky map. 
find some of the easy ones. Like for instance, if you find Orion, then you can also work on the Gemini twins. You can look at Sirius, very bright star, uh, Taurus. It's fairly easy to spot if you get something to work around. And Orion is one of those that you can work around. He also says several public libraries, including Fayetteville, Bentonville, Eureka Springs, and Harrison, offer telescopes to borrow for patrons, for those more serious about mapping the sky. But he says you don't have to know the names or positions of constellations and planets to feel connected to something bigger when stargazing. Understanding uh, our place in the universe. So on one hand, you could think of it as uh, the wonder of creation that we're one very small spot in a very large place. Um, And I think it's also interesting that even with just the naked eye and observing the stars, you can start uh, tracking how we fit in that sky. Uh, So it's amazing to me how much people figured out over the last thousands of years without advanced instruments, and then they've done even more with advanced instruments. But it's amazing to me how much people figured out uh, without anything more than uh, observations. So I think it's, it's the wonder of creation, the um, finding our spot in the sky, um, and just the uh, science that's available, even with the naked eye. The Hobbs State Park event begins this Saturday at 5.30 p.m. at the Education Pavilion by the Visitor Center, with Murphy giving an overview of the latest on the James Webb telescope, followed by a night sky viewing. He says attendees will need to bring a flashlight, binoculars, a folding chair or blanket, and a star chart if you have one. For more information on the event, go to Sugar Creek Astronomical Society on Facebook. For Ozarks at Large... I'm Daniel Carruth. The local music patronage platform Black Fret is in northwest Arkansas for a trial spin. The organization originated in Austin and has since spread to Seattle and Colorado. Colin Kendrick, the CEO of Black Fret, says the group follows a simple concept. We started with the recognition that popular local music, just like the symphony and the opera, should be eligible for community support. Uh, And then we started thinking about what are the strengths and weaknesses of the symphony and opera model. It's basically a patronage model, uh, and we've evolved from that. And so the model is based on patrons who contribute $750 annually. In return, they go to more than a show a month. Black Fret is partnering with House of Songs in Bentonville to bring in artists from outside the region to be on a bill with local artists. Patrons have access to intimate shows, and the artists also play a public show the next day. Graham Weber, director of programming for House of Songs, says the first public concert in the Northwest Arkansas trial run is Saturday night at Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville with three acts. Kalu James is in a band called Kalu and the Electric Joint. Graham Wilkinson and Sidney Wright, they were all individual recipients of grants from Black Fret. They've since joined together and will do different shows uh, as, a, as a group. So when we were curating, going through the list and thinking who would be great to come up here, Graham has a history here. He's come up here with House of Songs before. Kalu has also played in the, in the region. I think this is Sydney's first time coming to NWA. But it's a, it's a very interesting, eclectic group. They're all really talented. They're all really good human beings, which is a cornerstone of what we always look for working with uh, when we're choosing artists, when I'm curating programming for the House of Songs. All of them had also done co-writing um, and collaboration with the House of Songs in Austin. 
and beyond. Uh, but and then putting on a local act and Orelai is uh, fairly new to the area, but she's very ex- she's a breath of fresh air. Future shows will be staged in different venues across Northwest Arkansas. We'll hear more from Graham and Colin as recorded yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio next week on Ozarks at Large. And you can find out more right now at blackfret.org/nwa. Hi, my name is Paul your host for the Generic Blue Show, which airs every Friday night at 9 o'clock. Last week's show was disrupted and blocked out due to ice formation on the transmitter. So this week, I'm going to revisit that interview with Randy Stratton and Connell Miller and the recent release of the historic recording of LaVon and the Hawks live at the Fond du Lac Club, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1965. Again, that's the Generic Blue Show every Friday night at 9 o'clock. We'll see you then. This is Ozarks at Large. It is time to learn about The Batman, the newest film adaptation of the legendary superhero. To help us learn about this new film adaptation is Courtney Lanning. Courtney, welcome back. I hope. Thank you for having me. All right. You saw it. The Batman, which opens up this weekend. Uh, For those of us who, you know, tend to like superhero films, are we going to like this one? I think you will. Um... I think some people, uh, a very small minority, might be disappointed. Uh, but I think for the most part, people are really going to like this one. Just make sure you don't get anything to drink with your popcorn because this is a three-hour movie, Kyle. You And you don't want to step out for any of it. Okay. The character Batman is kind of like Sherlock Holmes or Dracula, and there have been so many incarnations now that it's kind of necessary and also difficult to put one's own stamp on it. We have a new actor as uh, the Cape Crusader. He, uh, he does good. Um, you know, the, the surprising thing to me is that Robert Pattinson, who was our Batman, who folks growing up my age will remember as, of course, Edward from Twilight, or people most recently will remember from Tenet, uh, he seems more like, and I don't know if, if your listeners have seen this movie, it's a little more niche, he seems more like the crow than he mm. does Batman. The crow being, of course, a 1994 superhero film. Um, and there's a lot of what appears to be patents and borrowing from the crow. He especially looks like Brandon Lee, who played the crow back in 1994 when he's not in the bat suit. Uh, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It just surprised me that I went in to see Batman and I saw a lot of the crow instead. Well, and those two characters have some similarities, right? Dark, um, troubled. Sure. Vigilante. Beating up bad guys at yes, night. Yes. Uh, you mentioned this is three hours. Does it earn its three hours? It does. Uh, this is a very, very slow burn detective story. There is still action. Uh, there's some pretty cool scenes. Uh, I won't spoil any. I'll just say that I think this Pattinson has the best Batmobile. And when you see him use it, that's the coolest scene in the movie to me. Um, But this isn't a loud, punchy movie like Batman versus Superman. This is, thankfully, uh, a slow, methodical detective story as Robert Pattinson's Batman tries to figure out who the Riddler is. And not Jim Carrey's Riddler, but a much more grounded, modernized serial killer Riddler. I'm glad you said that it's a detective story because way back, decades ago in the 1930s, when Batman was developed by Gil Kane, he was a detective. 
Detective Comics, DC Comics. That is the origin of this character. Of course. And he has the title, World's Greatest Detective. Uh, any problems with it? So, you know, my one gripe, and it is a small gripe, but as you said, there have been a lot of caped crusaders through the years, so you have to compare Pattinson to previous incarnations. And I think that Pattinson has the same problem as Ben Affleck did when he was under the cow. He's a good Batman, but he barely has any time as Bruce Wayne. Hmm. And that's why I think Christian Bale is still a superior live-action Batman. Uh, Bale balanced the equation of dual characters in the same role. You know, it'd be like when you watch a Spider-Man movie, it's exciting to watch Spider-Man do all the flips and fight the crime, but you relate to Peter Parker. Exactly. You need to see both, a good amount of time of both. I think Pattinson as Bruce Wayne in maybe two or three scenes in this film, and in three hours, that's just not enough. Not everybody likes superhero movies, most notably Oscar voters, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's say someone listening to us isn't a big superhero fan. Does this movie have enough for them, or do you need to be, you know, one of us? One of us. <laughs> um, I think that this movie has enough to entertain people who have never seen a Batman film before okay. or a superhero film before, um, because it is very grounded. Uh, it is uh, a slow burn detective story. And, I mean, as long as you can accept that this is going to be darker material, I think a, quote-unquote, normal non-superhero filmgoer would have plenty to enjoy here. And I think, you know, Pattinson, despite what I was saying previously, still deserves another couple of movies to grow into the role. This will obviously win the box office. That's how these things work now. Superhero movies do dominate. Anything else coming out this weekend? This is going to be the big dominating film at the box office. I'm sure it will make millions of dollars. Not a lot of other film studios willing to compete with the Batman head on. However, there is another movie coming out today and it's called Fresh and it's on Hulu and it stars Sebastian Stan, who people remember as the Winter Soldier. Uh, And it is about a woman dating him who discovers that I believe he's a cannibal uh, and all the dark hilarity that ensues from that. I'll wait for somebody to tell me about that one, I think. Uh, it won't be me, Kyle. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's probably the last time we'll be talking about that movie between the two of us ever. You expect to talk to us next week about the next Pixar film. That's right, and I'm excited about this one. Uh, it's called Turning Red, uh, but this one will not be coming to theaters. This one will be releasing exclusively on Disney+. Plus next Friday. Okay, and we will talk then. Courtney Lanning's full review of The Batman can be found in the Friday edition of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, talk to you then. Thanks for having me, Kyle. KUAF is supported by Temple Live Entertainment and Events in Fort Smith, presenting American blues guitarist and singer Tab Benoit live at the Temple Thursday, March 10th, and welcoming singer-songwriter Ray Wiley Hubbard Friday, March 11th. Seating is limited. Tickets are available at templelive.com. This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. The latest episode of Hip Hop Hello, heard on KUAF3 tomorrow afternoon, brings us another guest 
and her picks for five hip-hop songs that have had an impact on her. DJ Cleasy will welcome Danielle Musselman to the program to discuss those songs and to talk about the causes she's become involved with since moving here with her husband, Eric. But I know, Danielle, you one of the things that's so great about you and Coach being here in Northwest Arkansas is your support of many different uh, philanthropic causes in the community. And uh, as great as it is to live here, we got a lot of work to do on a lot of different things. Um, I'm wondering if, if you maybe want to share some of that work that you're doing and, and maybe point listeners to get involved in some of the causes that you're supporting. Yeah, I could talk about so many. I could have spent an hour talking about this, but um, I'll, I'll kind of just focus on um, just a few that I'm heavily involved in. Um, and the first one, it's just something that I'm really proud of, but I do a lot of work with the American Cancer Society. My mom is, is a breast cancer survivor and she lost both of her parents to cancer. And um, we started out in the first year with the party at my house, raising money, and then we progressed. Um, the next year during COVID, we started a t-shirt challenge and sold t-shirts all across the country. And then the, the third year, we had an actual gala and it's called the Suits and Sneakers Gala. Um, and we raised over $300,000 for the American Cancer Society. So um, wow. that's probably my most proud moment is working on that and bringing that to Northwest Arkansas um, and growing that. And it's back, it's going to be back again this year. And we just want to continue that. Um, so that's something I'm heavily involved in. I'm also on the board of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and involved with several things there. And then I just recently joined the board of New Beginnings, which is a transitional housing project, which I don't know if a lot of people know about it. It's very new. Um, but I didn't know that there was a homeless problem in Northwest Arkansas. And luckily, some of my friends exposed me exposed me to what was going on. And it was something I couldn't turn my back on. So I've just recently joined that and I'm looking forward to making strides with them. Great causes to get involved with here. I think the combination of like the rapid growth and the, the university and all the students here who want to make change and, and you know, uh, take on issues. And then, and then folks with a voice like yourselves all coming together to really take on important things. It's a great place to be involved. So for listeners out there, find something to get involved with and, and put your, put your voice out there. Cause we, we, we need you put you on the spot a little bit here, but is there, is there a hip hop song that sort of plays into the idea of, you know, giving back and doing a, doing well by people that comes to mind by chance? You know, well, the, the one song I, I, I can, it might be a stretch, but I love um, Nas's song. Is it, I can. Yeah, oh, I can. That's right. That's the first song that came in my head too. <laughs> is it really? That's yeah, totally. so, so old, but, um, I love that song. It literally like gives me chills every time I hear it. Cause it's just, it's, it's so positive and it's uplifting. And, um, so let's go with, I can. That's Danielle Musselman on the latest edition of Hip Hop Hello. The program can be heard every Saturday afternoon from 4 to 6 on KUAF3. And you can find KUAF3 on your HD radio by streaming for free at KUAF.com or through the KUAF app or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF3. Hip Hop Hello is produced in Bentonville and can also be heard on KOBV in Bentonville Tuesday evenings from 6 to 8 as well as Saturday nights. If you'd like to see a schedule of all the programs on KUAF3, just go to KUAF.com. That's Poncho Sanchez in the background. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday. We'll hear more from Poncho Sanchez as well as Wynton Marsalis, 
Christian McBride, Wallace Roney, Warren Wolf, and the San Francisco Jazz Collective. All of that and more this weekend on Shades of Jazz, right here on KUAF. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tonight at 10 on KUAF and tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. We will be with you Sunday morning at 9 for the next Weekend Ozarks at Large. This weekend, we'll hear our conversation with Ben Vining about his University of Arkansas Honors College Signature Seminar about climate change and human history. He's delivering a free virtual public preview lecture Monday at 5.15 p.m. We'll hear our conversation with him Sunday morning. And then Monday, we return to start a brand new week of daily editions of our show. And on Monday, we'll have another visit with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. This week, we use the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo River becoming a national river as our jumping off point. We'll hear the voices of Dr. Neil Compton, John Paul Hammerschmidt, and others who are instrumental in the effort to save the river from being dammed. Plus, Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore talks with the CEO of the electric vehicle company Canoe about why the firm is building a factory in our region. And we preview a performance called Dance Chance 3. designed to elevate the conversation about dance between performers and community. Oh, and a preview of this year's Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week. All of that will be on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF. And you can listen to the show on your schedule by using the KUAF podcast that's available through all major podcast outlets. All right, this is KUAF 91.3 FM, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Green Forest. You can listen to us by using the free KUAF app. Timothy Dennis produced today's show inside the Harold and Blanchcock News Studio. Contributors this Friday included Jacqueline Froelich, Daniel Carruth, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Courtney Lanning. You can see Courtney's complete film review in the Friday edition of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Additional material today provided by our friends at KUAR. Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Our theme is titled First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Daryl's often performing live and taking requests sometimes at 4 o'clock hour time every weekday afternoon through his Facebook and Instagram pages. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a safe weekend.